Nevada Gold Corporation controls 18 exploration and development properties covering nearly 50 square miles in Nevada's well-known gold trends. Its flagship Wind Mountain Gold Silver Project is 100% owned and had an independent updated resource estimate and positive preliminary economic assessment in early 2012. This past September, Bravada signed an agreement with Argonaut Gold to further explore and develop Wind Mountain. For further information, please visit bravadagold.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Uh, uh, This is the 6th of November, Election Day, and, um, well, we're all supposed to be good citizens and get out there and vote. Uh, so uh, I haven't done it yet. I'm not actually sure that I'm going to do it for reasons that I've talked about earlier in the show. Uh, we're going to talk to our next guest, Ms. Shedlock, about that and a whole lot of other issues as well. Uh, but before we get to Mish, let me just uh, mention and thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable for the second hour of today's show. Our sponsors are Airway Energy, Aravista Gold, Blue Sky Uranium, Bravada Gold, Brazil Resources, Dynacor Mining, Eurasian Minerals, Millrock Resources, Northern Free Gold, and Riverside Resources. Well, we are. I'm really pleased to have Mish Shedlack back with me. I've uh, met up with Mish at conferences, and we've uh, shared the, the podium at times, uh, sometimes uh, uh, Mish would get more of a say than I, and sometimes I would shove him aside and try to get more time. Uh, but Mish has got an awful lot of uh, very, I think, innovative uh, things to say, a lot of important things to say. He, You know, I like, you, you can uh, go to the mainstream press and you can pick up, uh, let's say, warmed over pablum day after day. What I like to do on this show is get people on here that have something unique to say, a unique perspective on the markets and what's going on in the world that we live in. And Mish is certainly one of those people. I'm not going to uh, to read his bio off because I don't want to waste time. Mish will have more than enough to say for the time we have left. But I should just tell you that he is uh, that he has managed Sitka Pacific Capital. Uh, and you should go to Sitka Pacific Capital. I'll ask Mish to give us the website. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah, I do have it. It's globaleconomicanalysis.blogspot.com. Globaleconomicanalysis.blogspot.com is where you should go to follow Mish's work. He has a lot of very excellent uh, articles, ideas on there that he expresses, and it's free of charge. You can go there and and, uh, and view it. Uh, what Mish has to say, read what he has to say. So welcome, Mish. Really good to have you back with us once again. Uh, pleasure to be on the show. Actually, uh, it's my partner, Brian McCauley, that's the uh, founder of uh, Sitka. I'm an investment advisor rep for Sitka, and okay. there's a link uh, to that on my blog. The easy way to find my blog 
just to just do a Google search for MISH, M-I-S-H, that'll take you straight there. Excellent. Yeah, it, it certainly will. And um, in any event, it's really good to have you back again. Uh, did you vote today, Mish? I did. I encourage people to vote. I actually, I encourage you to vote. Um, I, I just don't see the point. And you, you can't blame someone if if you you can only blame yourself if you don't vote. Now, here we can say that the outcome is is ordained. Um, but there's still a chance to send a message out there. I, I went out, I voted for the libertarian candidate. I was actually toying for the idea of writing in myself. In fact, I uh, wrote it on a blog. I said, you know, both of these candidates here are hopeless, and I, and I really believe they are hopeless. And, um, you know, they're certainly not of the stature of a, of a Ron Paul. And, you know, people think, well, we're going to vote for the lesser of two evils. And my comment on that today was, well, if you vote for the lesser of two evils, you're just going to continually have two evils to vote for. Yeah. So, uh, um, if, uh, so I went out and voted Libertarian. Uh, and the reason why I didn't write in myself, even though a number of people wrote me and said, well, Mish, I'm going to vote for you, Kind of flattered by that, but I uh, but I did a post last night and I said no because the vote won't count. First off, a number of states you, there's no provision for a write-in of a president at all, but uh, in states like Illinois where I live, well, you can write in someone, but the vote will only count if you registered with the state of Illinois, which I didn't do in a, in a you know in a timely manner, but you know before the election. Mm-hmm. So I said, well, just screw this. I mean, I did a survey. I took a survey a few months back. I was like 96 percent in common with the political views of Ron Paul, mm-hmm. and 95 with the libertarian Gun- uh, 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 Johnson. You know, mm-hmm. that's close enough. So I wrote yeah. him in today, right. and um, feeling happy about that choice. And um, if he gets enough votes, if he can get five percent, I probably not going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but you know, if he did, then uh, um, more money would be going to libertarian candidates here. Um, um, because of the law. So uh, I encourage people to uh, vote Libertarian if you don't like these two candidates. Well, if you like one of them, you know, go ahead and vote for them. Well, but uh, I see no difference between Romneycare and Obamacare. There's certainly a difference if, depending on your views about abortion, but they're both warmongers. They, uh, except Romney, I fear more starting a real war in Iran, and I fear Romney starting a trade war with China. And one would think that Republicans ought to at least be more free trade advocates than Democrats, except Romney's not. So I just look at these candidates and I say, sorry, there's no way I can vote for either of them. So um, that's just my opinion. Um, that might may or may not offend you. That's not my point. I'm just trying to express a, uh, a brief here political point of view, and now we can move on to the economy. Well, I think your, your point of view is very well taken, Mish. I do think that it's important that people vote, but think before they vote. And you have done a lot of thinking. You know what you believe. And, and most people are saying, well, gosh, I only have two choices. Mm-hmm. I have the lesser of two evils, and my retort to that is, yeah, but you're still voting for evil. That's right. I mean, why exactly. are you voting for evil? You don't have to vote for evil. There are other ideas out there. But let's get on to the economics and the issue of inflation, deflation. We had uh, we had James Turk, a hyperinflationist, and Robert Prechter, 
uh, a super deflationist on before you. I, I like to look at you as sort of a, a moderate deflationist along the lines of an A. Gary Schilling, who's been on this show as well in the past. But before we get into some of those issues, let's, let's go back to just momentarily on the political issue. Uh, who would be more of an inflationist or, say, more of a deflationist? Uh, would it matter, uh, Romney or Obama? Um, well, I think, uh, well, Bernanke's likely to go, I think, no matter who wins. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what, um, what Romney would do. But he did say flat out and say he would get rid of Bernanke, which is not much of a statement. I mean, rumor has it right now that Bernanke, or Bernanke's actually stated that he no longer wants to be, you know, FOMC president. Yeah. So he would step aside. He would still be a voting member. He just doesn't want all the extra baggage of, of being the president. He doesn't want the heat. He's tired of going in front of, 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 of Congress. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that it would matter. Uh, I mean, there would be a chance on that score that Romney would do something better than Obama. There's no chance that Obama's going to do anything good. So, um, uh, uh, on that score, you know, I would say, you know, Romney would be better, but, you know, is he really going to do what, what needs to happen? It would have been far more interesting if he would have come out and said, we're going to end the Fed. You know, then yeah. he would have had, you know, maybe a legitimate reason to vote for this yeah. guy, yeah. rather yeah. than just getting rid of one puppet and replacing him with another, because I think that's what's going to happen no matter who wins yeah i would i'd be inclined to agree with you and i think glenn hubbard is is one name that's been mentioned as a possible uh fed chairman and one has to wonder how much difference he would make also i would think that romney would uh would be more inclined possibly not to raise taxes and to print more money to try to to try to pay for things i don't know but that's just my guess but but who knows i mean it's all speculation so let's get on to this I know that you you are considered to be, you and I have sat on platforms together, and you and I would be the two guys that would tend to be, uh, you more definitively than I, a deflationist, but I also leaning in that direction. Uh, how, how do you define inflation or deflation? Mish, well, is it just, just simply it. an increase in prices, or is it, as the Austrians call it, uh, an increase in the money supply? How do you define it? Um, neither of those. I, I would say you have to take into consideration credit, but it would be more towards the Austrian definition, and that's where the, a lot of the Austrians gone wrong. I look at inflation as an increase in money supply and credit. Deflation is, uh, and, and I will even go as far as to say it's to market to market, and deflation um, is, is the, the opposite. Now, if you look at money supply alone, then, okay, we're in a period of inflation. If we look at prices, we're in a period of inflation, and some people do look at it that way. If you look at credit, now it starts to get really iffy. Uh, the, the only rise in credit we've seen in, uh, um, is is in government credit. It's student loans. Everything mm-hmm. else is flat. The the we've barely seen any rise actually in, in during this recovery mm-hmm. in um, uh, in consumer credit um, except for student loans. But you mark that to market, which is one of the things that I've said that I would do, and one of the reasons why asset prices got lifted is the value of credit on on the books is now such uh, of banks is now such that that credit's going to be paid back so by m- my definition we're in a period of 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 um 
inflation right now. But my position all along was I've never been this Prechterite. The, the, my position all along was that we're, we're in a deflationary type environment, and the U.S. would go in and out of deflation you know, for a number of years similar to what Japan did. I believe it's playing out that way. I don't see this big crash coming that Prechter uh, um, um, sees. And I think hyperinflation and, and huge inflation is potty. You know, it, it's, it's just, you know, not in the cards here in the foreseeable future. That doesn't mean it can't ever happen. Well, I don't think hyperinflation is ever going to happen. But, but just say, you know, some sort of big inflation number, say 10% or something, uh, I don't think that's in the cards for a long time. There's just simply too much debt out there, credit, that cannot be paid back. It won't be paid back. It'll be defaulted on. And in my definition, that's deflation. Well, the inflationists, of course, will say that the Fed can go out and buy all of these assets, uh, these trouble assets, as, as they, they've done. They've gone out and bought, bought they're buying mortgage-backed securities, uh, of course, treasuries they've been buying forever. Uh, and they can create that uh, those units of purchasing power out of nothing, out of thin air. And uh, and and it's not. I mean, it's they don't ever have to worry about paying it back. I mean, nobody has to worry about paying it back. You don't agree with that. Let's look at the math here. There's... The, the total credit market is something like $54 trillion. Mm-hmm. The base money, you know, uh, you know, at the Fed, we're, we're talking like one or two trillion. You know, so the, the and the, you know, the Fed's printed, pick a number, two trillion, whatever you think it is, but the, the uh, uh, a trillion and a half is parked as excess reserves, not doing anything. It's a Senate. Well, it's actually uh, uh, slowly recapitalizing banks over time because the banks are getting uh, uh, a quarter of a point of uh, uh, of you know money on these trillions that they're parking there. Right. That money is right. not making its way into the economy. It's just. Literally just sitting there, mm-hmm. and 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 if the Fed printed another fifty trillion dollars of it, well, now you're actually talking about really recapitalizing banks because of a quarter of a point on fifty trillion is a fair amount of money, but but I suspect ignoring you know interest on on excess reserves that that money would just sit there and absolutely do freaking nothing. So, you know, when all these inflationists say, you know, okay, you know, the Fed's going to, you know, do all of these things, okay, what's it going to do? It's going to do. It's going to get, is it going to spur credit? Are people going to go out and buy homes? You know, look, I mean, they've driven home mortgages down to, what, under 3% now. Yeah, here. I yeah. think you can get... Uh, is it going to matter if they drive that to 25 or 2 and a quarter? Well, you know, what's it going to do? Yeah. So, you know, the, realistically, that's the way you have to look at it. And uh, then we, um, right before we came on, you sent me an email, and you said, well, you know, the, the Fed can forgive all of this debt. Yeah. No, it can't. You know, okay. it can't do that. Now, now, legally, well, well, explain, explain. Bernanke did a lot of things that's not yeah. in the Fed charter, but I don't think they would cross that border. I don't think they would cross that line. Okay, so but this is one of the assumptions that our inflationist friends are making, is that they will and they can. Well, they can't and they won't. And I don't believe they would do it even if they could. 
Yeah. Because okay, well, let's, let's they ask. They don't uh, let, want let me ask to do you, that. Okay, let me ask you why they can't. Mission, I'm not trying to... I'm just playing the devil's advocate here. As you know, I'm, I'm more on your side, more on the deflation side, but I want to have an argument for these guys when I talk to them. I want to have, because I don't know why they can't, because uh, if we're no longer a nation of laws, and I, I, I hope we are, but I'm not sure that we are, because we're seeing a president that can, uh, that can you know, kill uh, who he, whoever he thinks is an enemy of the state. He can mm-hmm. take out with a drone without, going, without giving an American citizen due process uh, you know, I'm not sure how confident I am of our nation being a nation of laws rather than men. Well, the, the Fed by charter, you know, can print money, can lend money, mm-hmm. but it cannot give money away. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just literally a statement of fact. And Fed governors have come out and, and said that. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to remember the because uh, I I blogged about it. I quoted this guy a number of times. Unfortunately, I can't remember the name of the Fed governor who mm-hmm. came out and said, "We can provide liquidity, not capital. Mm-hmm. We can lend money. We can't give it away." Mm-hmm. And that's that is a statement of fact. Okay. Now, if you're saying okay. Let's say, you know, the Fed's going to do that anyway. Well, how are they going to do that? How is the Fed going to give money away? Is it going to give money to me? Who is the Fed going to give money to? Now, think about this for a second. The the Fed is trying to bail out the banks. The, uh, uh, The Fed's not into bailing out. Consumers, they want the banks to be paid back full. They don't want the, the the Fed is not interested in causing you know hyperinflation. They want this little two percent you know uh, of of you know kind of thing, which I tell you is misguided because two percent over time mm-hmm. eventually is an exponential function, and, and these guys don't understand what that means. It's, it's mm-hmm. going to get carried away. But, uh, uh, you know, that's what we're talking about here. You know, the Fed, the Fed is not going to go out and give me money because they don't want to cheapen it. They don't want the banks because it would, it would actually hurt the banks for that to happen. The, the, well, the, so they're well, not going to do it. It would destroy the credit system. Well, Mish, and, uh, and the, the Fed, Fed isn't going to, to give you money, but they will, and they have given the banks money. Lots of it. And as you're saying, though, that it just sits in the banks. It's not getting lent out because... Well, yeah, yeah. They've not given the banks money. Mm-hmm. They've lent them the money that has yeah. to be paid back. And the, the, the banks don't want to reloan it, so it's parked as excess money at, at the Fed. Now, as taxpayers, you know, we are really... You know, the ones behind giving the uh, uh, banks this quarter of a percent that they're getting here on, on excess reserves, or you can view it as, as, as part of the inflation thing, as part of the inflation problem where, where, where taxpayers are screwed because of inflation. Yeah, all of that is happening. You know, uh, uh, again, you know, talking about the monetary aspect here, not just the credit aspect. But, but, you know, the Fed has no you know, vested interest in, 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 in doing this. And, uh, uh, you know, so they're wrong in theory. 
and they're wrong in practice. You know, that's really what it boils down to. Yeah. Well, I would I would agree with you with respect to the charter. The only thing I think I I have uh, hesitations about is is believing that they wouldn't break the charter if they if for some reason they felt it was in their interest to do so. And uh uh you know, we've had Ron Paul on this show and I put it to Ron. I said, "Well, uh you know, I the same arguments that you're making." And I said, "I could see and I'd like your response to this too. I told Ron, I could Ron Paul, I could tell him that I could see hyperinflation if, in fact, money was literally helicoptered out over Walmart, shot, you know, parking lots, and and trillions of dollars were handed to people. And he said, well, we have the process, we have the pipeline, the pipeline's in place to do that through the tax code or whatever. They can just send out checks, but they're not doing it, are they? So far, they're not doing that. They're not. They're only. They're only making sure the banks are are staying alive. They're not really giving a rat's behind about you or me. Well, you know, once again, you, you know, we must, uh, um, um, you, you know, take this back here. It's, it's not the Fed that you have to worry about. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I would change my tune about hyperinflation in a second if um, some of these nutcases that want the government to be able to, you know, not the Fed, you, you know, mm-hmm. th- that want Congress you know, to be able to, uh, uh, you know, print money. You right, know, Dennis Kucinich, Congress could actually give away money. You know, Congress yeah. can do it. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the Fed doesn't. You know, the Fed can provide liquidity, not capital. But, uh, uh, and by providing liquidity alone, can they cause hyperinflation? I don't see it. Yeah. And the Fed doesn't want to because hyperinflation would destroy the currency and the banks. The Fed is trying to save the banks, not out to destroy the banks. Hyperinflation would destroy the wealthy and all the corporate bond holdings. Hyperinflation would actually destroy the Fed itself. It would destroy the wealthy political class. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, that is the restraint. People say, yeah, the Fed could do it. And I say, okay, in theory, the Fed could, could maybe do some of these things. They really can't give money away, but they won't in practice. You know, it was a, you know, Yogi Berra had a, uh, was it Yogi Berra? Yeah, here it is. He once quipped, in theory, there's no difference between theory and practice. In practice, there is. And that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just I don't uh, I I do hope that some of my friends on the on an Austrian thread that I talk to uh, will listen to this show and and come back with arguments because I find it I find it a fascinating discussion. I know uh, it's it seems so clear cut uh, in some ways and in other ways. I mean, the politi- of course things can change, times can change. We can have a revolution, and the and the Fed could be you know, could be run out of town, I suppose, in theory. But, uh, but as it is now, uh, I'm, I'm with you, uh, Mish. I think I, I, I pretty much agree with, with your view on this. Now, let's, so let's take a look at what this means for the markets, though. Let's, let's take a look. What are your views on the equity markets? Would you own stocks of any kind right now? Um, well, I would own some gold miners, but otherwise, no. But, you know, Jay, I mean, this is, I gotta step up and say I've been wrong for the last, you know, year and a half, because this yeah. has been my position for, uh, about 18 months now. Yeah, the gold they, miners have done poorly, the no have, question, and the well, shares have. Yeah, the gold miners haven't, well, gold itself has just kind of been consolidating here yeah. in, in, a, in a range. Uh, um, uh, it's, 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 Still down uh, 150 bucks or something from its you know all-time high, right? Right. What, what do we got here? The uh, but you know 
I just look at look at the earnings picture. I think the U.S. is back in recession, and even if you disagree, you, you know the economy is certainly stagnated here at best. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we're going to have a revision to mean on on earnings. I think earnings were only inflated, you know, because of all these various stimulus measures. Um, I don't know that we have this big fiscal cliff coming that everyone thinks, but you know uh the economy has has slowed to to stall speed at best even if you don't believe me when i say that we're back in recession and there are going to be some more cutbacks even if it's not the uh big fiscal cliff we see um uh, uh corporations are running fairly lean on employees so um um if profits start falling if people st- you know, stop buying cars, stop spending a lot of money. The, the, uh, they're either going to have to lay off workers or, you know, take a big hit in profits. I think that's happening. It's no doubt. I mean, Europe is in a massive recession. China is heading there. Uh, commodity prices in general have fallen. I mean, you know, iron and, and some of, uh, 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 some of the other metals have really gotten hammered. China is slowing. I don't think people understand the implications here of, of, of this slowdown in China and what that's mm-hmm. going to mean to a lot of commodity prices. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are the factors that I'm looking at and say, you know, do I really want to own stocks in this? Meanwhile, it's funny, Jay. I'm kind of laughing. I read all of these sites and, you know, somebody say, well, if Obama wins, you should own this group of stocks. Yeah. If Romney wins, you should own this group, and I don't remember which group they were saying for what. I mean, it's it's like everyone's thinking, well, you just gotta be in stocks. When I'm yeah. sitting there thinking, yeah. well, why? You know, uh, 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 I would tell people to be extremely high in cash, have some gold, you know, wait for a better time um, uh, in the stock market. And there's nothing wrong with sitting on the. What's wrong with sitting on the sidelines? You know, well, I why do you have to be fully invested all the time? That's I, I don't I get guess, it. Jay. I guess if you buy the hyperinflation or the inflation story, then uh, you don't want to be in cash. But I'm with you, Mish. I can tell you that uh, as of today, my my IRA have got about sixty percent in cash, and the other are, are scattered pretty much with gold with gold shares. Go. By the way, the gold mining companies, the big guys, are doing well. Their profits are very strong. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that. Jeez, uh, uh, I see we only got two minutes of time left emission there's so much more to talk about the bond market uh in in the next minute We're, what about the long-term treasuries uh are do you think we've seen the high in the treasury market we're going to see yields start to, to um, go we, up and we, we might so have we, we might have um i don't know one person i follow that i respect a lot is lacy van hunt and uh, Lacey Hunt at uh, uh, Van Hoisington, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he's still bullish on Treasuries here. Mm-hmm. You know I look at it. I'm kind of agnostic on them. I'm you know I don't know. Um, um, I don't think I would be short them or long them. But if you're a bond manager, what are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, so and then look at corporate bonds. The yields are already to the. F- to the floor, and you know how can you be a corporate bond bull here? So I look at all of these various markets. I look at the treasury market. I look at the corporate bond market. I look at equity market. I look at a lot of the commodity markets, and I I just see all of these things are overvalued, which is just you know more reason to be on the sideline in cash. Do yeah. you really believe this hyperinflation thing? Well, okay, 
throw 25% of your portfolio in gold, yeah. you know, uh, uh, walk away. Hyperinflation comes at 25% is more than, more than going to cover you. Actually, I think gold is going to rise in deflation for the reasons that I've said, because the Fed is going to fight it. I just don't think they're going to win the battle. And, um, but the act of them trying, yeah. Uh, of providing liquidity. That liquidity okay. tends to go somewhere. Where's it going to go? Going okay, Mish, let me gold. ask you this. Uh, gold goes up nominally and also in real terms? Yeah, yeah. yeah. In both ways. Okay, yeah. fair enough. I, I, I don't have any problem with that. I do know this, that gold has risen dramatically since Lehman Brothers as measured against the Rogers Raw Materials Fund. It's gone from 17% to about 49%. It's about 45 46% right now. So it's uh, and with that has come major profits in the major mining companies. So I, I'm extremely bullish on gold mining companies right now, but I'm also, I think I'm pretty much with you. Uh, Mish, we have an awful lot more to ask you. We'll have to have you back again sometime soon. Uh, we do have to go now, though, to our next guest, and I really thank you um, for all that you had to, to offer our, our listeners today, and I uh, hope to have you back sometime real soon in the, in the near future. Jay, a pleasure to be on the show, and uh, I look forward to meeting you at the conferences, and people can find my blog. Just do a Google search for Mish, and we'll catch you next time on your show. Absolutely, and I highly recommend to our listeners that they do go there. Uh, just Google Mish, or it's globaleconomicanalysis.blogspot.com. But uh, thank you very much, Mish, for being with us. Folks, don't go away. I'm going to be up next with uh, Sean Hurd. He's the president and CFO of Blue Sky Uranium. It's a company with a market cap of only around $2 million, but I think a very attractive uh, uranium target in Argentina. So don't go away. We'll be back to talk to Sean Hurd. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliffe Energy and Shell Canada. Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. Our Vista Gold Corporation's principal asset is the Dewey Project, which currently has a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 3 million ounces of gold and is considered to be one of the last undeveloped, low-grade, bulk tonnage potential super pits in Quebec. The Dewey Project has significant potential to further grow the resource by both step-out drilling as well as further infill drilling within the existing porphyry. Our Vista has a well-designed, extensive 35,000-meter 
100-hole drill program planned for Q4 2012, with results expected in early 2013 and an updated resource estimate to follow. Arvista Gold trades on the TSXV under the symbol AVA. For further details, please visit www.arvistagold.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Sean Hurd. He's the president and CEO of Blue Sky Uranium. Well, it's a little company that I suppose most of you have never heard of, but it's a company I think you might hear a great deal about if they're successful uh, in their exploration efforts in Argentina. Blue Sky Uranium is a sponsor to the show. It is also a recommendation in my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and I do own it personally in my uh, in my IRA account, my retirement account. Uh, and I own it because um, I think it is ridiculously underpriced, although that may be a ridiculous statement depending on what happens because uh, the company doesn't have cash flow right now, but it does have uh, a property in Argentina, a uranium target, uh, that I think is very, very attractive in a company that uh, no less of stature than Arriva, the giant uh, French uh, nuclear power company is also a player and is involved uh, with Blue Sky. So uh, welcome, Sean. Really good to have you with me. Yeah, well, thank you, Jay. I'm uh, happy to be here. Uh, now, I should mention uh, that your stock uh, trades in Canada under the symbol BSK. It's also per- You can also purchase it in the United States uh, on the over-the-counter market, as I have done. Uh, it is a, 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 you're trading at $0.10 cents a share. My goodness, what a, you're up... Um, you're up 17.6% today, uh, up a penny and a half. It's, uh, it's, it's sort of funny to some people, I suppose, but 10 cents a share with only 23.4 million shares outstanding. Um, your $2.3 million market cap, Sean. Um, so, you know, skeptical people would say, well, first of all, Taylor, what are you doing? What are you smoking? Uh, uranium, first of all. Nuclear power, are you crazy? You're, uh, Argentina, um, I mean, Uranium? Why? And so, uh, what is it? What about the uranium industry? Let's start there. What do you? What are your feelings about your? Well, let's say maybe feelings are the wrong word because I think feelings are what people go by. What? How do you view the uranium? The market for uranium right now post uh, the uh, Japanese tragedy? Well, I think you have to begin to look at the facts. I mean, first, if you look at uh, what actually happened to Japan and. Uh, with the Fukushima disaster, um, that that reactor was a generation two reactor. Uh, it was poorly poorly planned uh, in the sense that they hadn't anticipated such a once in a thousand year size uh, earthquake. Uh, and at the end of the day, that reactor did hold up. Um, Japan's whole nuclear industry, uh, and it's quite uh, they they did shutter all of the uh, reactors as they've been. Uh, reviewed for safety, and now they're going to be coming back online. Because quite simply, Japan, and like many other countries, uh, they don't have much of an alternative 
in the sense that they need to generate uh, electricity. Uh, and currently, uh, ramping up on cold fire plants is not the route to go. And in terms of global demand right now, I mean, there's 430, over 430 reactors operating in 31 countries. And as we speak, there's over 60 under construction right now. Uh, and the growth plans that China has for its nuclear industry are tremendous. So there, there's a real growth in the industry. There's a real need for it. Uh, the kind of reactors that they're building today are very different than the ones they've built in the past. They're much more dependable. They're much safer. And they're extremely well engineered. Uh, so there's a, there's a real growth in the nuclear industry there. And in Argentina in particular, uh, you know, Argentina's been producing nuclear power for 25 years. The first reactor they had was a, a Canadian can-do design. Um, they now have three reactors. They're planning a fourth and a fifth. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, a, it's a good space to be in. How is Argentina's supply of uranium to, uh, you know, to, to meet its own needs? Well, currently, Argentina doesn't have a domestic supply of uranium. Uh, Argentina imports its yellow cake, which is derived from uranium, to fuel the reactors. They import that from, uh, from Canada and from Russia. So there's a real movement, uh, real support on the federal level to actually get uranium production underway in Argentina. And they're very involved in the nuclear industry. Uh, in fact, they even build uh, research reactors and export them to other countries. What is the uh, the supply situation now? Because the uranium prices remain subdued for quite some time now because of the excess uranium that's come from the you know when the, when the Russians uh, started disassembling their nuclear weapons. Uh, what's the outlook for that? And and might there not be uranium supplies coming from other government sources uh, in the future as well? Well, right now, the, the program you're referring to with Russia is the megawatts to megatons, or other way around, pardon me, the, the megatons to megawatts program. Mm-hmm. And right now, 75% of uh, demand for uh, nuclear, or for yellow cake, or for uranium, is supplied from the mining industry, and 25% is supplied from that program alone. Mm-hmm. Now, that program is set to end next year. Uh, there's two forces at work here is there's going to be a reduction in the supply, but also there's an increase in demand globally for uranium because there's such a large boom in the building of reactors uh, in, in many, many countries. So looking at the, the various reports from analysts, and I don't purport to be an analyst, uh, is uh, the long-term prices generally you're seeing it around the $65, $70 range, and the current spot price is in the low 40s. So my personal expectation is that to, to see some movement in the price as we go forward here, because otherwise mine supply is simply not going to keep up with demand. Wouldn't you would expect that some of the power companies that need this supply are going to be looking for it pretty soon? Have they not started already to, uh, to set up long-term purchase uh, programs? Well, as, in, you're correct. You're correct. In, in particular with, uh, with the Chinese and the Koreans, mm-hmm. they're very, very proactive in supporting... Uh, with a long-term vision supporting uranium exploration with getting some sort of off-take agreement at the end so they can purchase the product. That's been going on for quite some time. It's very common up in Athabasca, uh, but in particular it's the Chinese and the North, Korea, North South Koreans pardon me, that, uh, that have been really working hard in that area. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you're operating in Argentina, and I, I imagine that some of our listeners might be a bit queasy about Argentina, but not all Argentinian locations are necessarily alike. I think you had mentioned when you and I spoke that provincially there's a lot of difference between different parts of Argentina. Talk to us a little bit about your project, where it is in Argentina, and what are your feelings about political risk there? Right. Well, I'll start with one example. Our projects are in the south, but a, a good example I can give right now is the province of uh, San Juan and uh, the province of Mendoza. Um, years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, uh, Mendoza was the wealthy province. That's Many of your listeners may know it from the wine region, but uh, very, very prosperous uh, in Argentinian terms, and San Juan was the have-not province. San Juan embraced mining. Uh, and now San Juan has got one of the strongest economies, provincial economies in Argentina, whereas Mendoza has gone the exact opposite direction, and now they're becoming supportive of mining. We're focused primarily in a province called Rio Negro, and Rio Negro, uh, it, it's a province that is in very, very much in need of capital injection and, and jobs and so forth, and they've started to embrace mining. But the way we enter a province is we go in there as their partner, and it's important to understand the people there, understand, have a good relationship with the government, with the mining department, and with the environmental department. And if you're transparent uh, and open and work within their guidelines, uh, it's a very, very supportive environment. I know that your uh, company and group of companies that you work with there have been in Argentina for some time, so I, I think that is something that can't be uh, underestimated, uh, the importance of forming relationships, knowing the culture, working with the culture, respecting the culture, which is very important. Uh, let's ask you then, your, your flagship property is the Havana um, 8 target, I think it's called. Um, why are you optimistic about this target, this well, let me, let me, uh, I'll address that. Uh, you know, we recently at the beginning of this year attracted Arriva Mines out of Paris. They're the, the, the French government-owned uh, nuclear power company that is the largest fully integrated nuclear power company in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, they'd been looking in Argentina uh, at all the various companies active in Argentina for exploration uh, for five years. Uh, they visited every property, uh, every company many, many times, and finally, they picked us and only us uh, to be their, their joint venture partner in Argentina. Mm -hmm. And it begs the question of, of why. Mm -hmm. uh, why us? Uh, why Argentina? Mm -hmm. Well, why Argentina? Uh, their feeling, Arriva is looking for a 50 million pound discovery or better. Mm -hmm. that is the, that's why they're in the game. That's a truly massive discovery. They feel that the three places in the world that are most likely to make the next 50 million pound discovery are Namibia, Mongolia, and Argentina. Mm -hmm. And just recently, there was a 50 million pound discovery made by the Chinese in Mongolia. So it's the geological environment uh, that is similar between those three destinations that's really attracted Arriva. Uh, what's attracted Arriva to where we are, which is the Patagonia region uh, of Argentina and the province of Rio Negro, it's much like the terrain is much like Nevada. And it's host of uh, numerous occurrences of surface uranium that only goes down a few meters in more of a gravel kind of environment. And what that means and why that's important is because the cost of mining that in that kind of environment and that material is extremely cost effective when compared to regions like northern Canada where a lot of uranium is mined currently. Mm -hmm. Well, those are very deep targets certainly in the, uh, in the Athabasca region. So you're looking at, I guess, very low mining costs, lower grades, but certainly low low mining costs, and, and uh, what about infrastructure, which is always so important? 
Well, it, it, where we are, uh, it's the terrain would be like Nevada. That's very flat. Uh, it's arid. Uh, the water table is uh, about 50 to 100 meters below surface. So there is abundant water uh, and a very low population density. Mm-hmm. You're, we're situated between the Andes and the coast, uh, the Atlantic coast. So there's power lines that currently hydroelectric dams in the Andes uh, feed power lines down to the coast, and they actually run directly through our property. There's roads that run directly through our property. We can work it year-round. Uh, there's no concerns with weather or rain or what have you. Uh, so the infrastructure is really good. There's an international airport, uh, approximately a three-hour drive from the project. So it's a, it's a good balance of having very good infrastructure and yet being in the middle of nowhere where you're not really in anyone's backyard. Okay, what, let's get to Arriva now. What's your arrangement with Arriva? Arriva has to come in and spend how much money to earn how much of the project? Arriva has to spend uh, seven to eight, or seven, approximately $7 million mm-hmm. over the course of the agreement, which is three years. Uh, it began the beginning of this year. So Arriva actually picks up all of our exploration costs in Argentina, which mm-hmm. is excellent. And at the end of it, uh, they get to, if they elect, they can elect to earn into two properties and earn a 51%, and we would retain a 49% interest. Mm. And okay. uh, I should note that we have a huge property portfolio. We've, we've got uh, close to 1 million acres of property throughout Argentina. Yeah. Well, you've got some work that's being done, some, I think some trenching results that are likely to come out on the market pretty soon uh, on your flagship property. Is that right? And, and when might we expect those results? Yeah, we have uh, trenching that's been conducted on our Havana property, Havana uh, 8 to be particular, or to be specific rather. And uh, I would think that those results will be out in the next few weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, we're looking at, I mean, I mean uh, if we're looking at a 50 um, million pound deposit, uh, you know, what might that mean for 49%? I mean, you've got a market cap that's two point, less than $2.5 million right now. Right. I mean, this, is what, this is what has me so excited about this, honestly, I must say, and the reason I purchased a fair amount for me uh, and on my, in my IRA and why it is in my newsletter as well, uh, but I mean, it's just uh, nobody. I, I think people don't know this story, Sean. I don't believe anybody knows this story. I mean, they are now. They're learning to know it. A few of my subscribers. But how do you account for? To me, this is an exciting story. Is it because it's so out of fashion, uranium, right now uh, as an investment? Well, I think you... it, yeah, I think this threefold. Jay is um, last year was a very difficult year, very difficult year for everybody. I think in the, in the junior uh, exploration uh, space. Right. And in particular with the Fukushima, uh, it was especially hard for uranium explorers. Um, through the course of uh, last year, uh, there was also, in terms of uh, the political environment in Argentina, uh, in terms of uh, being business-friendly, was put into question. Uh, and, uh, you know, with, right now we are seeing changes, uh, well, certainly changes in the uranium market uh, with uh, reactors that had been shuttered uh, it, particularly in Japan, now coming back online, and people are starting to realize that uranium is a must in the, the whole energy mix. It's not an option. It has to happen. Uh, and that uh, in Argentina in particular, the, uh, I mean, there was just a rally of, uh, of a tremendous rally against the, uh, the uh, business policies of the government. Mm-hmm. So we do see, and it was at a very interesting seminar last night, uh, it does see, see change uh, will be happening, uh, I believe, in the very near future in Argentina, and that will attract more investment dollars. And there's a lot of uh, people 
contrarians that are getting into Argentina right now. Right. I think it's an excellent time. Right. Well, it certainly is a share price that's depressed, to say the least. I, uh, you, how much money do you have in the till? And I guess you're, you're really, the other properties that you mentioned as well, uh, basically you're having other people come in to earn in to those properties rather than you burning through shareholder uh, dilution, right? Yeah, at this point in time, that's our strategy, definitely, because we can go on surface uh, and explore very, very cheaply, uh, find an attractive target, and then attract a partner like Ariba. And, you know, the trick in this game is to move move forward as quickly and as prudently as possible, uh, but avoiding dilution along the way. Right. We, You're like got, a project, uh, almost like a project generator you're operating as right now. Uh, Sean, we are out of time, unfortunately. Uh, tell our listeners where they can follow. What's your website so they can follow your progress? Yeah, the best place to find us is www.blueskyuranium.com. Excellent. Thank you very much, Sean. We're out of time. We'll have you back again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Folks, don't go away. I'll be back to talk about next week's guest and also uh, summarize today's show. Don't go away. I'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Eurasian Minerals is a prospect generation exploration and royalty company focused on the discovery of gold and copper. The company currently has over 140 properties on four continents. Our joint venture partners have committed to spend over $15 million on Eurasian Minerals projects in 2012. The company maintains a tight share structure a low cash burn rate, and holds $43 million in cash, creating value through discovery, growth, and royalties. Eurasian Minerals. I've recently recommended Northern Free Gold to my subscribers because its nearly 6 million gold equivalent ounce resource can lead to a major rise in its share price. The company's Yukon project is in a politically safe jurisdiction, far from population centers, and it is advantaged with road access and nearby electricity. A large deposit and a vision of positive economics should make Northern Free Gold an acquisition target. The potential upside, in my view, for these shares is major. Blue Sky Uranium is a leading pioneer in the exploration for uranium in the Patagonia region of Argentina. Their exploration success has attracted one of the world's largest monthly national nuclear power companies to fully fund Blue Sky's exploration programs. Argentina is very focused on nuclear to provide for their energy needs, yet they do not currently produce the required uranium to feed the reactors. Blue Sky has opened up a new frontier for exploration for uranium in Argentina with an objective of supplying both domestic and and international markets. Bravada Gold Corporation controls 18 exploration and development properties covering nearly 50 square miles in Nevada's well-known gold trends. Its flagship Wind Mountain Gold Silver Project is 100% owned and had an independent updated resource estimate and positive preliminary economic assessment in early 2012. This past September, Bravada signed an agreement with Argonaut Gold to further explore and develop Wind Mountain. For further information, please visit bravadagold.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions at gmail.com. 
That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I just uh, sort of summarized some of the uh, some of the ideas that were shared by our guests today uh, on the show and just pass those along in some of my own comments. Uh, I really, really did enjoy listening to James Turk and Robert Prechter hear their differences uh, politely, of course, and civilly uh, on the inflation-deflation side. I think if you've listened to Ms. Shedlack's view uh, of deflation, I think he makes a very a very strong case for it. I know that I'm going to have a lot of my colleagues who are not going to agree. Uh, most of them will agree with James Turk. Uh, a lot fewer of them will agree with Robert Prechter and Ms. Shedlack. A. Gary Schilling, of course, who's also been on this show, I think, uh, is closest probably to Ms. Shedlack's views, or maybe the other way around. Mish is closest to A. Gary Schilling, who's a very well-respected economist, uh, mainstream economist for sure. Uh, voting today, well, you heard Mish's views on that. I would agree with Mish, actually. I think you should get out and vote. But for goodness sakes, don't vote for two evils. Don't vote for the lesser of two evils. If you view that either of the main candidates are evil, don't vote for them. You've got other choices. Uh, you know, even Mickey Mouse is better than evil. I don't think Mickey's evil. So vote for Mickey Mouse or vote for yourself or don't vote, which, as Mish was saying, if you write in candidates that are not already registered, then you're really not voting at all. Actually, I think not voting makes more sense than voting for one of two evils. That's my philosophy anyway. Yes, I'm going to try to get to the poll, and I'll probably vote for the libertarian candidate because that's what I believe in. Uh, and um, But I think you know, voting is important. For sure it is. We should do it. Uh, but voting for two evils, the lesser of two evils, why? Uh, I would leave you with those thoughts before you go to the poll. Examine your own, uh, your own heart and soul and, and decide if you can vote for the lesser of two evils. Um, with respect to the more tangible things that we uh, talked about today, or let's say the things to do more directly with our own portfolios, uh, I think both of the companies that we interviewed, Airway, uh, Airway Energy is certainly a good little growing company that I think is uh, likely to trade up much higher. I think the probabilities of doubling their production almost next year are uh, pretty good. I mean, this is a company that has uh, very much been able to under promise and over deliver uh, they're they're doing very nicely earning a good good cash flow relative to their share price uh, and that should get even better and if there is a consolidation uh, with the company that is the operator I think that we would be looking at uh, much higher multiples no doubt uh, than we are right now so airway energy is is a company I'm proud to have as a sponsor and really was fun talking to Sean Hurd a few minutes ago when we talked to him about blue sky uranium. Blue sky uranium is, yes, it is. Uh, it is definitely um, a speculative stock. I mean, how can you say otherwise? Two and a half million dollar market cap, uh, but with the tremendous uh, land package they have, uh, and with Ariva going in willing to spend seven to eight million dollars to uh, to explore that. And by the way, the exploration on that uh, project, because it is flat lying target near surface. Uh, seven or eight million dollars can go a huge distance. It's not like you're drilling deep holes like you have to drill in the Athabasca to look for uranium. As far as the uranium price goes, well, of course, it all boils down to the cost of getting it out of the ground relative to the price. And uh, if you believe Sean Hurd's uh, more optimistic views about where the price of uranium is going in the future, well, uh, how soon? I don't know. Uh, that's one question I have in my mind. 
For sure. I know that there are some bears on the uranium market that wouldn't uh, be quite as optimistic about that. So we want to try to provide that as well. But all I'm saying is this is a company, a $2.5 million market cap, a Riva, a gigantic flat-lying target that should be very low-cost mining. They've had some good numbers coming out of there already in terms of uh, sampling that's done. So I think Blue Sky Uranium is very interesting. Well, that's Pretty much all the time we've got this week. Uh, next week, I am going to have Dominic Frisbee with me again. Uh, I enjoyed so much uh, talking with Dominic, and he has so much to say. Um, a stand-up comedian, uh, and he certainly does have uh, a lot of good humor, but he also is really focused on what is one of the most egregious uh, sins of our time by government, and that's fiat money, in my view. That's all the time we have this week. I, I hope that you'll come back next week to listen to Dominic and other, our other guests. I do want to thank Chasey Trump, my executive producer, and Matt Wiedner, my, uh, my new engineer for today's show, making this a show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening, making it this, this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.